0: You are listening to the Journal of Molecular and Cellular Cardiologies Scientists in the Spotlight podcast. My name is Kate Weeks. I'm a researcher at the Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute in Melbourne and a social media editor for the JMCC. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Litza Cranius, who is Director of Cardiovascular Biology, Hannah Chair of Cardiology, and Distinguished Research Professor at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. Welcome, Litsa, and thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Kate. I am delighted to be here with you today and actually to speak to you over the Pacific Ocean. So glad to join you.
0: Thank you. So, Litsa, you grew up in Greece and then moved to the US on a scholarship to undertake your undergraduate studies at the University of Chicago. You then did your PhD at Northwestern University working on phage DNA replication and graduated with a Masters of Science and a PhD. Around that time you started your postdoc at Northwestern University Medical School and also started a family. You then relocated to Cincinnati and were recruited by Arnold Schwartz as a faculty member in the Department of Pharmacology and Cell Biophysics. There are two things that really interest me about your scientific journey. One is the fact that you are a very productive and very successful scientist, and that you've done this while also raising a family. The other is the fact that you left your home country at the young age of 18 to follow your passion. So it must have been very challenging moving to another country as an 18 year old. What was it like for you in those early days during university and your PhD?
1: Okay, when I think about this now, I am really amazed at the courage and the determination that the 18 year old Greek girl had. As I left Greece right after high school, I had grown up in a very protective and very strict environment. And my parents did not even want me to leave Greece for college. They wanted me to stay home. But I was attending a Greek American high school and I applied to several universities for scholarships. I got an amazing scholarship from the University of Chicago. They covered tuition, fees, and spending money for a trip to Greece every year. So I decided to take it, and finally my parents gave me their blessings. Definitely, I missed my family a lot during the first years here. And I actually wrote to my mother every day and every day I got a letter from her. Uh, Sometimes we joked with each other and we said that if we were to lay down our letters next to each other, we would actually form a bridge between Athens and New York. This is how many letters we exchanged. It was definitely a hard time for me in the beginning The University of Chicago was tough, and all of us, the best students that entered from around the country found ourselves on a curve with C as an average grade. But with time, it got easier. Chicago became home to me to the point that I decided to stay there for my graduate school, and I moved to Northwestern University for that.
0: Fantastic. And you still have a very strong connection with Greece. I know ho- I know you go home regularly to, to visit your family. Can you tell me a bit about the lab that you established in Greece, uh, How the, how the lab has grown and what your relationship is with the lab now?
1: I was very fortunate to have this opportunity and be able to build a laboratory in Greece. It is the Molecular Cardiology Laboratory, in a new research institute that is called the Biomedical Research Foundation of the Academy of Athens. This institute started in 2000, uh, in the early 2000, and it's an amazing facility. It has attracted over 300 scientists from abroad, and I was involved in the building up of the institute from the early days. So in the early 2000 to 2008, for almost eight years, I used to go back to Greece six to seven times a year
0: to get out. the lab
1: going and also to help run the Institute. But one of the early recruits to my laboratory, Dr. San Uzu from Harvard University has now grown. She's the new director of the place and the laboratory is nicely funded. They publish great work and our laboratory in Cincinnati works hand in hand with the lab in Athens and that is very complimentary and very blessed to have this opportunity.
0: Fantastic. What a wonderful way to collaborate internationally. That's just just wonderful. Uh, so so what would you say have been the most significant milestones in your career so far? Both both the scientific aspects, but also career wise?
1: Yeah, when I think about this, I think that discovering the functional role of phospholamban in the heart and the human mutations was a very important step. Then establishing the laboratory in Greece was definitely very important in my career. And I also think that the training of all of my students and postdocs have been very important throughout my career.
0: That's something that I'd like to touch on a bit later in the interview is your involvement with with trainees, uh, because I know that you are a fantastic mentor to many, many people. So I'd like to talk about that a bit later. Uh, First of all, if we just focus on your science a bit, we all know you as the scientist who uncovered the role of phospholamban in calcium cycling in the heart. And you're often referred to as the mother of phospholamban, which (laughs) I think is really nice. (laughs) So can you describe your initial findings regarding this really important cardiac protein and how these findings have shaped the field?
1: Yeah, Kate, I have worked on phospholamban for all my career. (laughs) When I started we knew that this protein was phosphorylated in vitro. It was uh, discovered by Arnie Katz's laboratory as a small phosphoprotein in microsomes, but it was not until 1982, when John Solero and I did some hot bunny experiments, as we call them, and we showed that the protein is phosphorylated in a beating heart. We actually perfused rabbit hearts, with five millicuries P32 each. And that's how we discovered the phosphorylation of phospholampin during beta stimulation. So, this showed to us that phospholampin is an important regulator of the beta responses. And we called it the stimulator of cardiac contractility. But then the phospholampin knockout model and the overexpression model came along and we actually discovered that phospholampin is an inhibitor of cardiac contractility, a better adrenergic stimulation simply removes the inhibition. So this finding then um, was significant in the nation and indicated that phospholampin activity may be a potential target. So many pharmaceutical companies started working on that, but there hasn't been any specific inhibitor today targeting phospholamban. And then I think the discovery of the human phospholamban mutations was very important because to our surprise, those can be linked to arrhythmias. And now there's actually a phospholamban foundation from the patients, by the patients, and they are specifically associated with the R14 deletion of phospholambin, and they're hoping for cure over the next few years.
0: Fantastic. And where is the phospholambin field today? What research questions are you and others asking in the field?
1: Yeah, the field has tremendously moved forward. We now know that this protein is not nearly as simple as we thought years ago. It acts in an interactome. It is interacting with many partners that modify its activity. and It is also present in various subcellular compartments, including the nuclear envelope. So this is a new surprise for us and a new area of investigation. And I think although we used to say location, 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 now we start saying interaction, interaction, interaction is very important for the function of proteins.
0: Fantastic. And can you tell me a little bit more about the phospholambin foundation that you mentioned before? So that was established by patients, is that correct?
1: Yes, that we discovered originally this mutation in Greece, but then years after that, it was discovered in high prevalence, the R14 deletion phospholampin in the Netherlands. So they knew that this was there and it was affecting the patient and the carriers, I should say, and their children. And one of the patients that was actually transplanted started the foundation and it has now grown with over 1,200 members in Holland, but also there are carriers in Europe and the United States. And we established the US Phospholampan Foundation about four months ago. So this is the foundation.
0: What a great, great initiative. Um, So I'd now like to move on to your involvement with the International Society of Heart Research, which is, of course, the scientific society that the JMCC is affiliated with. Uh, So you've held many positions within the ISHR over the past 30 odd years, um, including a 12 year stint as treasurer of the North American section. How did that come about? Oh, that is really funny. Uh, I was the
1: treasurer for six years, and I guarded every single dollar so carefully. So our funds had grown, and it was time for me to rotate off, and I was sad for that, and the council didn't really like that. So it was Don Burris, who was the previous president, and then suggested to the council that we change the bylaws. And Tish Murphy was the president at that time. So the bylaws were changed and I was allowed to run again for the treasury and I was elected <laughs> again. So I served for 12 years at that post and we had a nice um, fund when I came off finally after 12 years.
0: <laughs> and so you've also been a member of International Council uh, and were a faculty advisor to the North American section Uh, Early Career Investigator Committee, which is a very active committee doing great things uh, to support ECI. Uh, You've also advised the International ECI Committee, who organised the symposia, the ECI symposia and activities for the World Congress in Beijing in 2019. And you're a senior faculty advisor for the new committee, which are putting together the ECI program for the next World Congress, which will hopefully be held in person in Berlin uh, next year. And I recently learned that the North American section now has a Litza Cranius ECI Leadership Award, which honours your contributions to teaching and mentoring the next generation of cardiovascular researchers. So, I mean, it's clear to me that you are really passionate about supporting uh, early career investigators. What drives you to be such a great advocate for ECI? And what is it about the ISHR that makes you want to be involved in this society? First of all,
1: Kate... I would like to recognize your leadership efforts and all, everything that you have done for the ICHR and the Young Investigators. Oh, thank you so um, thank You, you helped not only with the Beijing Congress, but now you're a backbone and an amazing support for the Early Career Investigator Committee that is organizing the Berlin meeting in 2022. Thank oh, you so my pleasure. much for thank helping you, us out. <laughs> I absolutely love the ISHR. I think it is a small and homie society. People know each other and they look forward to meeting with each other at the meetings. The ratio of trainees to faculty is so small that is an ideal environment for mentoring and for personal interactions. And I think these interactions uh, go beyond professional and they also become social and personal. Everyone in this society is so collegial. Everyone is working so well with each other and we enjoy seeing each other at meetings. I also think the ECIs are a very dynamic and very vibrant group and I enjoy very much interacting with them. They have lots of good ideas and a lot of energy. They are, I say, they're the bright future of our society.
0: Well, I must say that you are a fantastic support of the, uh, the ECI, Litsa, and uh, I know when I was working on the ECI committee for the events in, in Beijing that we really appreciated your support and guidance to organize those events, So, so thank you. Thank you. So I know know that you're also a great supporter of women in science. Um, Can you tell me about the women in science breakfasts that have become a feature of the North American section ISHR meetings?
1: Jake, most of my trainees have been female scientists, and I have especially enjoyed that part. We started the women in science breakfast in 2017 following the footsteps of Rong Li Yao with the American Heart Association. And the first breakfast was well attended and it became obvious to us that there was a need for this intimate exchange of concerns and issues that were specific to the female scientists. And I should say early career female scientists. I remember so well an emotional sharing of an issue that one of the young female scientists brought up at that breakfast. And it was just so touching to see everybody working together on bringing solutions up, resolving that issue.
0: Do you have any advice for younger cardiovascular scientists today, uh, perhaps female scientists in particular, but as they're starting out on their journey as a, a PI or as a trainee?
1: Yeah, I have a very simple code. If you love what you are doing and you are passionate about it, you will succeed. You will really move forward and everything will fall in place. I think As we mature professionally, we need to seek good mentors, role models, and good collaborators to help in our career development. It is a lot of fun to be able to discuss our ideas with other colleagues and brainstorm over the challenges. So the collaborators become very important. I also think that we need to continuously be objective about our findings and continuously challenge our own hypotheses
0: and our own data. I think that's perhaps the, the most difficult thing, isn't it, challenging your own yes. data? it's true, um, it's difficult. And, and how would you recommend younger scientists choose their field of research or specialisation?
1: I think a very important question is to ask, what do I want in my professional life? Do I want to be a teacher scientist or a scientist teacher? How powerful do I want to get? Do I want to be in charge of a group? Do I want to be a chair sometime? Do I want to be a director of an institute? And then the question is, How do I get there? What skills do I need to acquire to reach those goals? And that's not easy to sort out. And also one needs to be self-aware and recognize the national statistics as she or he move forward in their careers.
0: Well, thank you so much, Litza. Uh, This has been a a really fantastic discussion. I've loved hearing about the history of phospholamban and and also your your, uh, involvement with the ISHR. So thank you so much for joining us uh, and I, I wish you all the best. Thank you very
1: much, Kate, for these insightful questions. And I also wish you the very best.
0: Thank you, Litza.